Uh, loving Father, as we come uh, to uh, this time together this morning, we pray that you would feed and nurture us by your word. Show us the glory of your son, Jesus, that we would respond with repentance and faith. And we ask this all to your praise and glory. Amen. Please be seated. I hope you've still got John chapter 15 open before you. That would be helpful. And there should be an outline uh, to follow as well. If you could eat only one fruit for the rest of your life, uh, which one would you choose, I wonder? One fruit. Uh, Did you know that God, the Father, loves fruit as well? Uh, Not for consumption, but fruit that is the result of faith in him. Uh, He's often pictured in the Bible as a gardener or a vine grower that longs for a harvest. He longs for fruit. And when there's fruit, well, it's new beauty, happy days, isn't it? And when there's not fruit, well, that's the source of great tension in the story. Notice verse 1, what does God the Father do? In verse 1 it says, Jesus says, my Father is the gardener. And all the farmers here would be delighted to know that literally it means that he's the farmer. Yay! And what does he do? Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he he prunes so that it will become even more fruitful. So there we see unfruitful dead branches are cut off. And this is a sharp distinction between fruitful branches, which are pruned and trimmed. Uh, Maybe you watch TV programs like Better Homes and Gardens or The Gardening Show. There was one on yesterday, I think. There's nearly always somebody standing in a nursery talking about the beauty of the nursery, talking to the owner, complimenting them on their attention to detail. That's how it rolls, isn't it? On Friday night, he said to the owner of the nursery, I can can tell you really love your work. You've always got a pair of scissors or a pair of secateurs in your hand. And it's important work, isn't it? Because it stimulates growth, it promotes beauty, and it promotes fruitfulness. And it becomes the garden joyful in colour. And this is a picture of the Father's love and care. We've all seen gardens that haven't been cared for, haven't we? Or trees, or vines. I bet you're thinking about that tree that needs to be cut down right now, aren't you? Or the, or the vine that needs to be pulled. And it looks wild, or out of control, and unseemly, and even sad. But not so with God the Father, not in his garden, and not with his vine. And what is it like for the branches to be pruned or trimmed? Well, Hebrews chapter 12 might be a help for us. In verses 4 to 11 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says things like, The Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He disciplines his own, the way a father disciplines his children. And to endure it. And then it says, God disciplines us for our good. And such discipline produces a harvest. 
of righteousness and peace for those trained by it. So there we see, is the garden better for its pruning? Is the garden better for its pruning and trimming? Yeah, good, good. Of course it is. And God's discipline is like that too. Uh, What about Jesus? Well, verse 1 tells us that he is the true vine. It's always interesting when he says the word true. I am not the vine, I am the true vine. And it's because Christ supersedes the vine that existed previously. Remember last week, Jesus superseded the old bread, the manna in the wilderness. He was the true bread sent from heaven, chapter 6, verse 32. And here, he supersedes the old vine. And what or who was the old vine? It was Old Testament Israel. We heard that in the reading, Psalm 80, Isaiah 5. Israel was a vine that the Lord rescued from Egypt. The root that he planted and and repotted that grew throughout the land. But God condemned it because the fruit it produced was bad. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7 said that God looked for justice. He looked for fruit, but instead he saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but instead he heard cries of distress. Jesus also borrowed from Isaiah to condemn Israel. In the parable of the vineyard tenants in Mark 12, he condemned them for brutalising successive prophets and for killing God's final messenger, his his beloved son. And so Jesus' point here is that the true vine is not apostate Israel, but it is Jesus himself, together with those who are joined to him as, as the branches. You see the picture in your head? Jesus says, I am the true vine. And then he says to the disciples, and you, you are the branches of that vine. Now imagine being a Jewish reader at the time, and you heard Jesus saying, if you want to enjoy the status of being part of God's chosen vine, that vine that the Father loves and cares for, you must be right related to me, to Jesus. And so it's an image that paints a picture of our union, our belonging to Christ and our belonging to one another. Jesus is the true vine. And we, those who are Christ's disciples, those that follow Jesus, we are the branches. And so when we read verses 34... Uh, verses 3 to 4, notice Jesus gives them a truth. He's going to say something true, and then he's going to tell them to do something. All right, so verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
So what's the true statement? Jesus is saying, you blokes, my disciples, you are already clean because of the word Jesus has spoken to them. And the response is to remain in me. Now, I don't often go to the Greek with you of a morning, um, uh, but we need to this morning because that word clean looks really strange and out of place in the context of everything, doesn't it? Why didn't he say you are already pruned? And that's exactly what's going on. Uh, Jesus is using a word play here because the word prune, the word prune and the word clean sound very similar in the Greek. Uh, very similar. Uh, such that amidst all this pruning, Jesus puts the pruning alongside this idea of being clean. But the word is clean nonetheless. And it's like he does it deliberately, we think, to dovetail these two ideas. Now, who does the pruning? The father does the pruning, the gardener. And who does the cleaning? Jesus does, right answer. And we know he does that because earlier in chapter 13, verse 10, Jesus declared the disciples clean. He said, you're already clean as he washed their feet. And so here is the connection and here is the promise I think the disciples continue to cling to. And of course, as we look at that foot washing moment, we remember that, don't we? Uh, one, that one act of service, the foot washing, we know it points forward to that greater act of washing that Jesus does. The greater act of service that involves bloodshed to wash away sin. A cleansing that means forgiveness and new life. A cleansing that purifies us and cleanses us so that we can stand before a holy God. An act of selfless sacrifice that now sees us incorporated into the vine as the branches who are now fed and nurtured and completely dependent on the vine. And now as the branches in Christ, we are cleansed. But as part of the vine, we can also be sure of being pruned. And by that I mean we can also be sure of the Father's loving care as he prunes and as he tends to the vine. And I think that's what's going on here. And the big assurance, this is important for the disciples because Jesus has just said, I'm, I'm out of here. And they're feeling anxious and maybe they're feeling abandoned. And the assurance here as they grieve at this news of Jesus' departure in their anxiety and distress the assurance is, you guys belong. You're already clean. You're already right. You guys are fine. You already belong. Because Jesus is the vine and they are the branches. And because that is true, they can be absolutely sure of the Father's loving care. Even when they don't feel like it. There is a truth to hang your hat on. True for them in their distress. True for us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Even though I depart, Jesus says, you, you are connected to me. And because you're connected to me, 
as surely as a branch is connected to a vine, well, you are actively connected to God whilst ever that's true. And so there is the assurance. I hope you're comforted by that. You should be. And the command, of course, if that is the truth that they're to digest and absorb, the encouragement then is, is what? The encouragement is to remain. Stick with me. Although it means more than stick, doesn't it? Verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. All right, there's judgment. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And there are more than a few things here, so bear with me. To remain in Jesus is to continue and to persevere as his disciples in fellowship with one another in the face of persecution and in the face of difficulty. Did you hear what I said very clearly? Let me say it again. To remain in Jesus is to continue and to persevere as his disciple, as his follower, in fellowship with one another, in, in the face of persecution and in the face of difficulty. Which means that there are no lone rangers and there are no strays. That which in Jesus is true spiritually is to be lived out practically. And it means that this church family and this congregation, the importance of being together and sharing together can never be underestimated and it can never be undervalued. This is not cheap and this is not secondary, that which we do this morning. This is us living out what is spiritually true. And if this is one of the ways we celebrate our belonging to Christ, our union with him, well, what on earth could be more important than this? Here's another idea. To remain in Jesus is to cherish his words and to act on his words, including his promises. So verse 7, if you remain in me and my words, remain in you, ask whatever you wish. And so we heed the words of Christ, we value his words. Our belonging to Christ is what drives our prayer life. His words drive our prayer life. Our prayers are not an open checkbook here. That's not the idea. Our prayers reflect our belonging to Jesus because they're in his name. And we put out his name on our prayers so that they should reflect the words of Jesus and they should reflect his values and his purposes. This is not an open checkbook. To remain in Jesus means to remain in his love, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
To remain in Jesus means to keep his commandments. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And it is only by remaining in the true vine that the branch can bear much fruit. Fruit that reflects uh, the joy of the Father. And such that in verse 15, Jesus will say, you know, you blokes, you're not in the background like servants. You blokes aren't like servants who are, are not invested in the actual business of the Father. No, you blokes, disciples of Jesus, you are, you are friends. The stakes are much higher because Jesus says, I've invested in you. He says in verse 17, I chose you. I appointed you. And so the invitation, the command actually, is to go out and be fruitful. Go out and blossom as people loved by God. Now, fruitfulness is one of the major points of this text. And so verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Or verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Or verse 16, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. See the idea? Three times we're told. This is a massive part of the text. Fruitfulness is a major point. And so the question then is, well, what is the fruit that the branches bear in the vine? Let's take a moment. What do you think the fruit is that the branches are to bear in the vine? all sorts of ideas I want to say to you, I want to make it really easy I actually just think it's one one kind of fruit and it's as simple as this love love is the fruit does that sound easy? (sighs) we should never underestimate the demands of love let me remind you how demanding love is love that is patient. Have you failed already? A love that is kind. A love that does not envy and it doesn't boast and it is not proud. A love that does not dishonour others. A love that is not self-seeking. nor is it easily angered. A love that keeps no record of wrongs, which means forgiveness is on the table time and time and time again. A love that does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, which means that there are no lies, There is nothing false and nothing twisted. A love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes. A love that never gives up. 
And of course, this isn't any kind of love, is it? This isn't eros love. This is, I'm not even sure this is friendship love. This is beyond that. Although Jesus says we're friends, so I've just did myself out of an argument, so forget that. But this is a love modelled and exemplified by Jesus. It's a love that is self-forgetting, others-centred and total. It's a love that is all about grace. And we know it's unconditional love because it's while we were sinners that Christ died for us, not while we were his friends. Yet our love is so conditional, isn't it? Human love, we put up frames. We expect others to comply to our selfish ideals because apparently we know better. And of course, when other people don't cooperate, when they don't comply, well, they're just plain unloving, aren't they? And why is that? Well, because I didn't get my own way, of course. And we can hear the entitlement that sadly creeps into our society, our workplaces, our marriages, our homes and our churches. The my way highway. But the my way highway is not the way of grace and it's not the way of the vine and it's not the way of the branches. So how are we to love? What is the shape of this love? Well, love is the fulfilment of the new commandment. In chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, and you're going to wish you'd sung this song this morning. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Or from our passage this morning, verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. The former vine did not produce the good fruit of justice and righteousness within the community of Israel, but the bad fruit of bloodshed and cries of distress. And likewise, if these professed disciples of Jesus do not show evidence of sacrificial love toward each other, then it's doubtful that they are truly branches of the true vine. Love, says Jesus, is what it's all about. The Father loved the Son. The Son loved his disciples. And the disciples are to love each other. And so the love revealed in the community of faith is visible evidence of the invisible reality of the Father's love to the Son and the Son's love to the disciples in dying for them. To love like Jesus, sacrificially and through obedience, is to bring glory to the Father. And when we love like Jesus loves, Jesus says we're putting the Father's name up in lights. To glorify God, then must be the greatest human aspiration. And we glorify God when we love each other and when we do works, good works for each other.
And of course, the reverse is true too. Jesus promises great joy, deep and full, to those who heard and kept the Father's commandments to love each other. And this is the joy flowing from obedience to the Father and fellowship with the Father. Jesus knew that joy as he obeyed the Father's will and he prayed that his joy would be known within the disciples. Happiness is a human emotion. It depends on favourable circumstances. But joy, this joy is God-given and it's born of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't depend on circumstances. It's experienced in spite of circumstances that are painful. And so the disciples are anxious here. And he's telling them that though tough days are ahead, but that they are the branches of Christ, the true vine, whose fruit of love they are to bear in the joy of knowing the Father and doing his will. And so may this be true of us also. Amen.